May these songs bring joy to our hearts knowing that you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. together, friends. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive the King. Let every heart prepare Him through. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven Joy to the earth, the Savior Let men their songs implore While fields and floods, our tears and waves Repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy Repeat, repeat the sounding joy All right, ladies, this is your verse. gentlemen this verse is all you he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders wonders of all together, friends. Joy to the world. Joy to the world. The Lord is true. Let earth receive a king. Let every heart prepare him And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. One more time. Heaven, heaven, and nature's We sing this together, friends. God rest you. Mary, gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort. He has come for us this year.
Somebody say hi this morning. Kids, you are dismissed for Children's Church. All right, friends, let's join back in song. And it's good to be with you. I'm glad you guys made it out today. Prepare our hearts for the word. And, you know, these songs are a reminder that our King has come. It's good. We can be excited about that, knowing that we are no longer bound to our sin, but we are new creatures in Him. His mercy is new every day. His grace is sufficient. Let's join as we uh, we lift him on high. 
came. It came upon a midnight clear, that glorious song of old. From angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. Peace on the earth, goodwill to men from heaven's all gracious King. The world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. Still through the cloven skies they come with peaceful wings unfurled. And still their heavenly music flows over all the weary world. Above its sad and lonely plains, they bend on hovering wings. And ever over its battle sound. crushing load whose bones are bending low who toll along the climbing way with painful steps and slow look now for glad and golden now come swiftly on the wing oh rest beside the weary road Bards foretold when with the ever circling years come round the age of gold, when peace shall over all the earth its ancient splendors bring, and the whole world give back the song which now the angels sing. thinking as the angels are in heaven they are saying holy 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 is god almighty and as that song is proclaiming that the earth will one day shout that it will be renewed and as we come and we join them in unison lifting up the name of jesus i think that's going to be pretty awesome but in the meantime may we join together in unison as we adore him he is worthy let's sing together Oh, come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the King of angels. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, 
come, let us adore in Christ the Lord. Sing, choirs of angels, sing in exultation, oh, sing all you citizens of heaven above. Glory to God, glory in the highest. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him, Christ the Lord. This last verse. Yea, Lord, we greet this happy morning, Jesus, to Thee be all glory. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing, oh, come, let us adore Him, oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him, Christ. One more time together. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him, Christ the Lord. You are worthy. We welcome you. And Lord, as we remember your birth, you have come. And uh, Lord, may you open up the scriptures to our minds and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Hey, Merry Christmas. So turkey's done. Black Friday is over. And it is time for uh, Christmas. So we are um, going to be in our Advent series for the next several weeks. And uh, we're going to be in the, the book of First John this morning, so we're going to take a break on Galatians, which is where we've been, uh, and we're going to just do Christmas messages for the month, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But if you don't have a Bible this morning and you want to read along with us in the passage we're in, just raise your hand, and one of the ushers will gladly uh, hand you a Bible. <clears throat> and uh, I want to mention a couple different things. One is, uh, if I haven't met you, I want to introduce myself. My name is Jesse, and for the most part, I get to preach God's Word here, which is a great privilege uh, for me to do, and I enjoy it greatly. Uh, and so I just want to welcome you. If you are new, just know we pray uh, for people to come that are new. We, we encourage our church to invite people to come that have never come, because we do believe uh, that the message that we have and the hope that we have is for all people, and that we think this is a really special place to be. And so uh, if you are new, we want to get in touch with you. Uh, we have a newsletter that we send out each week and all kinds of events that are going on. And you can do that at the info booth, just out to my right, your left. Uh, you, it's not hard to miss, but there's a place there for you to sign up for all of that. Uh, and then there's a couple things that we need to handle just business-wise here before we get in the Word. One is uh, all the snow removal on the decks and the stairs on Sunday mornings is done by volunteers. And so for those of you who do that, thank you so much for helping. Uh, it, it's kind of difficult to shovel rain, um, but uh, on occasion you have to do that. And we're looking for people to sign up for that. We, we still have some spots available. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet outside. You just pick a date, 
show up early, shovel some snow, make sure things are clear, throw out some, uh, some ice melt, and, and keep everybody safe. And so we are looking for more people to help out, so make sure that you sign up for that. If you have any questions for that, Andy oversees that. Andy uh, was playing violin this morning, and he's sitting in, in the back. And then um, uh, hopefully, gals, you got an invitation on, uh, on your way in for the women's luncheon. Uh, that's at 11.30 on a Saturday, December 7th. We want to invite you to come to that. All the information is on the handout there. Uh, and then, of course, we're doing our Night in Bethlehem event. This is a great place uh, during that time to invite people. We turned the entire sanctuary in here for two days, uh, two nights, uh, into first century Bethlehem. And it's a great place to, pe- uh, to invite people who don't know Jesus. People who've never come to church before will come to this event. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a great event for us. A lot of people come, and we're looking for you to invite people. We're looking for you to come, and we're looking for people to sign up and, and, uh, and dress up uh, as we do crafts and different things uh, throughout the sanctuary. We also, um, we also have food here, and we're looking for some people to, uh, to make some food off of the recipes that are made available outside too. So make sure you check all of those things out. And then um, it is Christmas time, and we have a bookstore. And so we want to invite you to go to the bookstore to make purchases for Christmas gifts and things like that. We have in the bookstore right now, we have several books that are for Advent season, which is the Christmas season we're in. So if you want to walk with your family uh, through some Advent devotionals, we have those available, uh, and they kind of just tackle each day uh, of each week that you can do something along with your kids. And then I've got two more copies of these. We had several of them in the bookstore, and I mentioned them in the first service, and um, we're already down to two left. But this is, a, um, this is a book called Emblems of the Infinite King, and it's basically, it's like a systematic theology book, basic kind of like uh, introductory doctrines and teachings of God's word uh, within uh, a great text. It's got some really cool pictures in it. And I actually purchased one of these for myself because I thought the pictures were so cool. Um, and, and we kind of, you know, we, they say that the reading age uh, every year is, is getting lower and lower and lower. So really children's books now are for everybody. And so we want to invite you to go ahead and grab one of these, not just for your kids, but quite possibly for yourself. Uh, like I said, I bought one for, for me. If I, I'm one of those guys that's like, give me the old dead theologians. I want to read them. But if I can, if I can find it abridged, then that's, that's awesome uh, so I can understand a little easier. So I want to invite you to, to check these out. These are really good. And there's some children's Bibles out there and uh, all kinds of great things that you can give for gifts. And then at Christmas time, we have a tradition here. Uh, which has been going on long before I was ever here. And that tradition is for the staff. The, the way that we uh, bless the staff at Christmas time for Christmas bonuses is based off of uh, you choosing to give to the, staffs at, to the staff at Christmas time. Uh, so if you want to make sure the staff gets some money for Christmas as a Christmas bonus, in your check, just write that it's for staff Christmas gift. Uh, or on your envelope, you can do that, or it'll be available for you uh, online. So we just want to let you know that that's the way that, that we have for a long time uh, blessed our staff. And each year, they always get to walk away with something extra in their pocket to bless their family and, and give their families gifts and things like that. So I uh, just want to make you aware of that. With that said, you guys ready to get into some Advent Christmas messages? So I, I get to preach the first one. Uh, Brad Knoll's going to preach one of, one of them. Uh, and Wayne will preach one as well. And of course, uh, we, we always have every year our Christmas Eve services that we want you to be praying for right now. Just start praying for Christmas Eve because there are going to be a lot of people here. And uh, the, a lot of them don't know Jesus. A lot of them uh, are here just because of tradition. And we want to see the Lord use that night 
uh, and be fruitful in that evening. So we're going to start getting into Christmas. And like I said, we're going to be in First John, and you'll see uh, why here in a moment. If you would this morning, would you honor the word of the Lord with me, if you're able to, and stand with me as we read a few of these verses. <coughs> Verse 1, chapter 1, the letter of 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was, was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be made complete. We ask this morning you do a work in us through your word. Manifest yourself to us in a way, Lord, that we see that you are real, that you are true, that you are loving, that you are kind, you are forgiving, and you are forever merciful to your people. I pray also, Lord, for Wayne and Sandy as Sandy heals from surgery and for all those at this Christmas season who are wrestling through hurt or pain or illness or sickness. May you speak in all this, Lord, and we trust you that you do a great work now. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. You may be seated. So, like I said, we're taking a break from Galatians, and we'll pick that back up in January, and um, where we, we... Every year we do a series, uh, which is Advent, and our Advent series is usually the first four weeks before Christmas, in which what we're doing when we, when we do Advent, when we preach through Advent, when we kind of set up the calendar and the church calendar with, in Advent, what we're doing uh, is we are literally preparing our hearts for the coming uh, King. It's basically what, what Advent is for. It's to prepare us for Christmas Day. And, and we're doing that by looking back on the reality that there was a preparation for Jesus to come all the way in first century Bethlehem. And, and we're preparing as well now. We're, we're preparing, even as I prayed, we're preparing that God's message and God's word would be clear to us. And the background of John is this. John, the, the guy who wrote this book, he was once a fisherman. And he was out fishing, and, and one day Jesus came to him and said, you, yep, you, you're going to follow me. And John became a disciple of Jesus, and then this disciple of Jesus became such a radical follower of Jesus himself that, that he wrote the book of John and the book of First John, Second John, Third John, the book that we're in now. He authored these. In fact, when he wrote the Gospel of John, if you're reading that book, you'll see that, that he refers to himself never by name. He never says, I, John. In fact, he refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. And so his identity wasn't even rooted in his own name. He, he had such an intimate relationship with Jesus himself. He just said, I'm the guy, yep, I'm the guy that Jesus loved. In fact, uh, in the Gospel of John, he is the one at the Last Supper that is leaning on uh, the very breast of Jesus as, as they're eating the last meal, communion, which we're about to partake. And now here in 1 John, he's already written the Gospel. He's already seen Jesus live the perfect life he lived. He saw Jesus die on the cross. He saw Jesus uh, come back from the dead. And he's now writing this, and he says, listen, I want you to know something that's true. This is, this is history. 
He says, that which we have seen, he says here, that which we have touched, that which we have heard, we've experienced this. He's been made manifest to us. All of these things, I've seen these things. I want to write them to you. And, and just so you know, at this time, after he has experienced that perfect life with Jesus, he's now about 80 or 90 years old. So to set the scene, you've got Grandpa John sitting down, teaching his little children. And, and that's a term in this book that he uses to speak of the church. He, he calls the church uh, in this book multiple times, little children. I write to you, little children. Uh, and it's only a grandfather who can get away with still calling someone at 40 or 50 years old a child, right? And, and, but this is what you have. You have Grandpa John at Christmas time. And, and, and imagine he's got the tree set up and he has brought the church to himself uh, along with the fire to keep warm on a rainy day like this. And Grandpa John is saying and teaching to his little children what Christmas is all about, what Jesus is all about. That is the scene that is being set here. Grandpa, Pastor John, sitting with his children. Uh, In fact, after Jesus uh, encountered John, John just couldn't stop talking about his his Savior, Jesus. And what he's writing here is, is he's telling us what the purpose of Christmas is. And that's the title of the message this morning. What is the purpose of Christmas? Uh, and so I'm going to go somewhere uh, this morning that maybe you're not ready for in the sense that, that you, you've never maybe heard a message preached on Christmas from 1 John or in the way in which I'm going to preach it, but I think it's important. And in fact, I, I am in part uh, preaching this particular message because of a remark I made uh, a couple weeks ago that bothered me. Uh, so nobody wrote me an email. Nobody said, hey, uh, that was worrisome. Nobody sent me a warning saying you shouldn't have said that. Uh, but I made something... Uh, a mention uh, a couple weeks ago about not dividing over doctrine. Uh, And so another title of this message would be Christmas is Doctrinal. Christmas has doctrine. Christmas is very deep in its theology. Now here's what I mean by all of this, okay? Uh, Doctrine, the word doctrine is just a big word for teachings, that which we believe. Uh, I would define doctrine with four Uh, principles, four different truths. If you're taking notes this morning, first of all, uh, doctrine, like I said, it's a set of beliefs or teachings that you live by. Doctrine, first of all, is something that is a faith position. Uh, And and what I I stated last week was, or two weeks ago, whatever it was, was that certain doctrines, we should never divide over to them. And and some doctrines, we should. Another way to say it is, there are open-hand doctrines and there are closed-hand doctrines. Right, open-hand doctrines, we can have conversations about them, but we shouldn't divide as a church or as churches over open-hand doctrines. And then there are other doctrines, a set of teachings that we believe by faith that, that are closed-handed doctrines, and, and we should fight over these kind of doctrines. That's why they're closed-handed doctrines, So, because you're going to punch somebody with them, right? Um, an open-hand doctrine would be uh, certain teachings on eschatology, okay? So I'm going to use doctrinal words on purpose this morning because of the, the, the message in which I'm preaching. The word eschatology is just the study of end times. Okay, now there are three, there's more than that, but there are three major sets of beliefs uh, in regards to uh, the end times, when Jesus will come, amillennial, premillennial, dispensational. There's, there's these big terms. One of them, uh, which is the one that, that, that I adhere to mostly because it's what I've basically been taught as the Calvary guy, is that Jesus is going to come back. He's going to rapture us before 
before the tribulation comes, uh, and we won't experience the tribulation, and Jesus is going to come back for us, that that would be one set. Now, another is, is that he may come uh, mid-trib or post-trib. And some of you are going, what is he saying? I don't care about any of this. And that's what I'm saying. It's an open-hand issue. We shouldn't fight over it because we know, we know the truth in every single position is Jesus is coming back. Okay, so no matter what faith you believe in that regard, in that doctrine, you believe Jesus is coming back. Now, uh, he, here's another big one, and it has to do with our message this morning and, and is just connected with everything in regards to Christmas. Uh, a closed-handed doctrine is that Jesus is 100% God and Jesus is 100% man. And if you disagree with that, well, we will fight you, okay? Uh, we, that's a closed-handed issue. We're going we're gonna to fight for that doctrinal belief. We're going to stand on that doctrinal belief, and you'll see why more so here in a moment. So doctrine is a set of teaching and beliefs that you hold by faith. That's number one. It's faith. You, you believe it out of faith. Number two, it's what you live by. Doctrine is what you live by. So you can't just say, I believe something to be true, and it not change your life. If you actually believe it, it will substantially change the way you live. So if you know that Jesus, if you know that Jesus is sovereign over all, and you know that doctrine, that theology that is taught, that, that God is sovereign, that he is in control of everything, that he allows bad things to happen for our good and his glory, and he purposes things uh, in his sovereignty to actually happen. If you believe that, it should radically change the way you live life, yeah? It should change the way you suffer because suffering has purpose in, in, in God's plan. Christianity makes suffering meaningful. It, it brings Christ into the suffering because we have a suffering Savior who died on the cross for our sins. So, so number one, doctrine is a set of beliefs that you believe by faith, but it should change the way you live. Because there are a lot of people who say, I believe in Jesus, but nothing changes. <clears throat> so every, every so often there's these statistics that go out, and they say, okay, within, within Protestant Christianity, Christians get divorced just as much as non-Christians. Christians abuse drugs just as much as non-Christians. And, and the reason that that's detrimental is because they throw anybody and everybody who says they believe in God into the statistics. Mormons are included in that. Jehovah's Witnesses are included in that. Catholics are, are included in that. Everybody's included. If you have Jesus in your doctrine to some degree or another, whether it's wacky or right, you're thrown into the statistical lump. And then we look and people go, look at you Christians. We're like, whoa, 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 don't include me into that group, right? I'm not like them. Uh, I got in trouble a few weeks back because, a few weeks, probably a couple months ago, I said that the majority of Christianity that's exemplified to the public that doesn't know Christianity is from the televangelist. And I'm like, no, I am not the televangelist. Okay, you're not going to find me on that channel. And someone said, they're not all bad. And I was like, yeah, not all of them, but most of them. I don't want to be in that group. So it's what you live by. It changes you. So the reality is, if you, uh, to, to just divorce as an example, if you go deeper into the stats, 
And, and you ask the question for those who are taking it, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe the word of God is true? Do you go to church on a regular basis? Do you pray with your wife? Do you do these things? The, the, the stats for divorce drop all the way down to, I think the last time I checked on it, was 10%. Less than 10. Okay, so what's that mean? If you believe it and you live it out, your life will be radically changed. Number three, it's what you preach. Doctrine, you believe it by faith. It substantially changes you, and you can't help but share it. You can't help but propagate it. You can't help but tell people about it. And, and this is what John says within the text. He says, I've got to share these things with you that I have seen, that I have touched, that I've heard. I've got to share it with you. I'm guilty of this, man. My wife, uh, she, she tells me all the time, like, I am, I am one of those guys that just, I, I, when I find something that I like, I sell it. I'm just a natural salesperson. That's how I ended up in preaching to a certain degree. I just, I'm selling a different thing now. I'm selling eternal life in the name of Jesus instead of some other product, right? And, and I, like, like if, I, if I get into, um, uh, what, what was the example I used in the first service? I can't remember. Joe was telling me about one earlier about uh, Joe Kraft who helps out in the coffee shop. and just a, he, He's a sneakerhead. You know what a sneakerhead is? A sneakerhead is somebody who loves sneakers more than you. And they know all about all the different kinds of sneakers. And so I start talking to Joe about sneakers. And next thing you know, I'm like, I got to get me a pair of these sneakers. And, 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 and so I started scheming ways to try to find, you know, the, these retro Nikes, uh, which you're like, I don't care. And then I'm start telling people, dude, you got to check out these Nikes. And then I saw a documentary. I was like, you got to check out the documentary, man. These shoes are totally legit. They're too legit to quit, man. You got to get these. And then I start selling it. I do the same thing with everything. If I, if I get on a bandwagon or something, I start selling. It's like, it's like, you know, I used to be one of those guys that, that, that used to say, you know what, man? If you're going to have the right kind of cable, you've got to have DirecTV. DirecTV, it, that's, the, that's the one I would tell people. You've got to get DirecTV. You gotta get, don't ask me why. I just built that way. Now I'm like, why do you have cable? You've got Hulu. You, you've got Netflix. You don't need cable. Now you've got Disney+. Plus. Have you seen The Mandalorian? Got to check out The Mandalorian. See, here's my promo. Disney+. Plus. Disney+. Plus. Check it out. And it's just, when you believe something to be true, you can't help but tell other people about it. And if you're not telling other people about it, you, you find ways to share it. And we just live in this culture and society where we're trying to share everything that we're all about. We're trying to portray a particular image. And, and what John is saying here is, when you believe the doctrinal truth of what we're about to get into in a moment, when you believe that Jesus came, you can't help but believe that in faith. It can't, it can't, it, it will inevitably change the way that you live, and you will have to share it with people. You've got to tell people about it. And then the Bible says in regards to right doctrine, which is known as orthodoxy, we, we talked about this a while back, ortho means to be in line, to be straight. Orthodoxy means uh, that, that we believe that which, that which is straight, that which is in line, that which is true, orthodox, traditional Christianity it, when, it, when, when it's taught right, when it's taught correctly, when it's believed upon in faith, that right doctrine liberates you. It frees you. So Romans puts it like this, chapter 6, verse 17. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. He says, listen, he says, you were once slaves to sin, because you believed bad doctrine, you believed, you believed lies, then 
you believed upon the standard of teaching which you were committed, which is from the apostles, from the word of God, from Jesus to the disciples, to the apostles, to us. We committed them, and then it says in verse 18, having been then set free from sin, and you've then now become slaves to righteousness. So, so all this to be said, when, when you start to believe truth, the truth literally sets you free spiritually, and it changes your life. It changes everything. Okay, so when we say Christmas is doctrinal, the purpose of Christmas is to teach us the doctrine, the ultimate doctrine that matters at Christmas is the doctrine of the incarnation. That is the doctrine of Christmas. I would say incarnation. Well, what is that word? The incarnation is that God came in the flesh, that God dwelt amongst us. That's, that's what John is saying here, and it's what John said in the beginning of his gospel, in the gospel of John. He says, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Uh, what Pastor John, what Grandpa John is saying here is he's saying, listen, the, the, the God of the universe came as a baby child to enter into humanity. Uh, that's why John Wesley, um, John Wesley and his hymn, and, and some of the older folk are like, please, Sing more hymns because of the deep doctrinal truth that's in hymns. And John Wesley's hymn here, just the verses that I have before you are, man, they've got so much substance to them. Wesley says, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. There's a doctrine. That's the doctrine of Christmas. That's the doctrine of the cross. God has reconciled us back to himself. He's made us right with himself. And then he says, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark, the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Emmanuel literally means God with us. God came in the flesh. That is to say that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. Uh, in fact, um, in, in regards to this word in John chapter 1, for those of you who were here during the, the season we were in John, you remember that in John chapter 1, verse 14, John uses a, a, a peculiar word in regards to the Godhead becoming flesh. He, he literally says, the word, that is God, because the word came, the word existed in eternity past, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. The word that he uses there, he says, the word and speaking of God is the word logos. That word logos was a, a Greek word that was used to describe the unknowing things of the universe that holds everything together. What, what the Greeks essentially said was, was, listen, we have all the knowledge in the world. We, 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 we're smart. We're educated. We understand the sciences. And they said, however, there's something behind the scenes that, that's holding everything together. And that's the logos. It's unknowable and it's infinite. Like, it's just beyond our capability of understanding. I had one of those moments uh, outside uh, sledding with my kids a couple days ago. Uh, I was, so I was outside with my kids, and we were sledding, and we have a cul-de-sac at the end of our road, and, um, and we were hiking up the hill and sledding, hiking up the hill and sledding. And then after a little bit of time, uh, my other kids went inside, and m myself and my oldest son were still outside playing. And, uh, and I just laid back in the snow, and I looked up to the sky. We've got some really massive trees in our area where we live, uh, like most of us do. 
because we live in, in Truckee. And, and I'm looking up, and the snow's falling, and the trees are just hanging over my head. And my son says to me, Dad, what are you doing staring at the sky? And I said, well, it's peaceful. And I, and I started having this conversation with him. And this is what was happening in my mind. And I know you won't be nearly as impressed with it as I was. And my son definitely wasn't impressed with it at all. Uh, I started to have this thought of, I was looking at these trees and thinking how radical it is that the tree produces a pine cone, drops a tiny seed out of that pine cone. This seed, which is yay big, goes into the ground, absorbs dirt and water, and makes a tree. It makes wood. See, you're not impressed. I'm impressed. It's amazing. And I was looking and I was thinking to myself, I was like stepping, <laughs> this sounds so weird, but I was like stepping into the, the mind of the tree, which it doesn't have a mind, uh, but just thinking of how it produces each ring after a year and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and to the point where in the redwoods, they're just massive. They're unthinkable from this teeny little seed. And, and, and then I had this thought, and all this is a conversation with my son, you know, no one in this room, nor any scientist ever, has been able to even come remotely close to duplicating such an amazing feat. You can't do it. And I sat there and I thought, man, and I was thinking about my message here this morning. This is the logos. How in the world does that happen? The Greeks would say, the logos, this unknowable thing. And so what John says is, John says, you know that thing that you think is unknowable? You know the, the thing that is infinite in the universe? You know the thing that holds all the stars together, that's keeping the world perfectly balanced so that you have the, the right amount of weather and, and all of these different things? You know that thing? That thing came and dwelt in a manger. The God of the universe has come down, incarnate deity, to dwell amongst his fellow mankind. And if it wasn't for such a feat, we wouldn't know as much about God as we do now. Because God would be, as the Greeks and the Stoics believed, infinite and too large. Now, because the Godhead has come in the person of Jesus Christ, we now have a God that understands us and a God that we can understand. Uh, that's why Hebrews chapter uh, 2, verse 17 says, Therefore, he, speaking of, of God, had to be made like his brothers. That's us. In every respect, that he might become merciful and a faithful high priest in service to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, there's another deep theological doctrinal word. We're just not going to ignore these things in church, are we? That word propitiation means to be a wrath-bearing sacrifice. This, this is the kind of doctrine that liberates and frees you. Because the word here is that Jesus took the punishment of your sins that you deserve on the cross. This little baby boy would grow up to be a perfect man to take the punishment that you deserve. And then 4.15 of Hebrews, because of this, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then draw with confidence near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and, uh, to help in time of need. Now, now this is amazing. This is theological kind of stuff that, that, that liberates the mind, it frees the heart, and it tells us here, because Jesus has taken our pain, because Jesus has wept, and he has cried, and he's gone through punishment, and he's gone through torture, and he's experienced depression, all of these things, he understands them. He ha Everything you've ever felt in regards to weakness, it says here, because Jesus was man, not just God, 
He felt it all. Anybody ever had a really bad week? Jesus had a really bad week. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that, 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 that when you start thinking about it, you understand that when you go to God, this is why he says, come with confidence. Not just because your sins have been dealt with, but because God's going to understand everything you're dealing with. And let me tell you, statistics will tell, that tell us that Christmas time for many is a very depressing, anxious time. For some, it's a reminder of someone who's passed away, of what could have been, what should have been. For some, many of you this morning, might be financial crisis an issue. How am I going to buy the things that I need to buy and gifts and spend money and get into debt? All these different things happen at Christmas time. Right? Christmas is a hectic, crazy time, and Jesus understands it. Now, I don't think he ever had to deal with Black Friday, but he understands the depravity of mankind. The incarnation, it's important I say a couple things about the incarnation, God becoming flesh. Number one, this act of God becoming incarnate is not, does not mark the beginning of Jesus as the Son. It, it, this, isn't, this isn't like God created a part of himself uh, and he showed up. No, it, the virgin conception from Mary uh, and the birth in Bethlehem, it doesn't mark the beginning of the Son of God, but rather it marks the eternal Son entering physically into our world and becoming one of us. See, Jesus has always been there. You go all the way back in Genesis. Remember what God says when he creates Adam and Eve? Let us create man in our image. Uh, and to use another million-dollar theological word, there's all of these Christophanies in the Old Testament. A Christophany is where Jesus shows up in the Old Testament. You can actually see him. What does he do? Who is that character? Who's this angel of the Lord that the Bible is speaking of? It's Jesus who's always been at work along with God the Father. And here at Christmas time, we celebrate the fact that he's entered in through humanity in flesh. Number two, it shows us his character. Jesus is humble. God is humble. And I don't know if, if you were God, would you come up, would you show up into the world this way? I think I would have used some lightning and some thunder. I'd have come out of the sky on a golden throne with lions on each side, right? A couple, couple other winged creatures, some trumpets. Here comes Jesse as God. And I'd worship. No, that's not how he came. He came as a baby because he's humble. And, and so that you and I would see as a child the innocence of God, the purity of God, the beauty of God, but the approachability of God. Right? I've got four kids, and, and, and all of them have been approachable as babies. It's not until they get a little older that they get a little sketchy. But when they're babies, they're, 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 they're easy. I mean, I tell people when they're having kids for the first time, anybody can have one. Anybody can have one, right, Ben? After you've had four, one is a piece of cake. It's a walk in the park. And, 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 and once you have number two, number two, it's just more of the same. You burp it, you wipe it, you clean it. It's a beautiful little baby. Number three, well, buckle your seatbelt, take some medication. It's going to get weird. <laughs> <coughs> Jesus is approachable. Number three, so remember, it doesn't mark the beginning of Jesus. It shows us his character. It fulfills prophecy is number three. There are over 332 prophecies declaring from the Old Testament into the New that God would come in such a way. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 is probably one of the most clearest pictures of the prophecy of 
this child being born. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 9, 6. For to us, let's speak of humanity, for to us a child is born. Notice the language, a child, ordinary. It, it then goes on and says, to us a son is given. This is an ordinary child, an ordinary son, and then it says the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called. You've got an ordinary child, ordinary son, with some extraordinary titles. And his name, it's interesting that it's singular. He says his name because he encompasses all of these things in his name. It's not names. It's not his name shall be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. You've got an ordinary son with some extraordinary titles, all of which singularly are his name. And if there was anybody who said, wait a minute, I'm not sure I can buy in to the doctrine that Jesus is God. I, I, I remember a couple years ago, there was a gentleman sitting right back there by where Brigida is. And I was teaching on the Trinity. Uh, and the room, it was on a wintry day like this. It wasn't quite as filled. The room wasn't quite as filled. But I was preaching on this reality that Jesus was God. He heard it, stood up, said some vulgar things, and left. Because he, he did not adhere or believe, and he felt it was blasphemous to teach that Jesus was God. How dare I say Jesus is God? How dare I say that? And there are religions out there that say the exact same thing. You should not say that Jesus is God. That's blasphemous. My friends, that's exactly why Jesus was crucified. Because he claimed to be God. And Isaiah, to make it clear, Isaiah lets us know this son, this child, this ordinary baby boy, what, what, what's one of his names? Mighty God, everlasting father. You see, Isaiah predicted this child would be God and, and, and you're to worship him. And the Old Testament, this is again why Jesus was crucified, the Old Testament was really, really clear. There's only one that's perfect and there's only one one deity that can forgive sins, and it's Yahweh. Yahweh is the only one who can forgive you of your sins. And so Jesus shows up on the scene. He brings prostitute. He brings lame person. He brings tax collector. And he says, I forgive you. That's what the Pharisees went. They knew what he was doing. They knew what he was claiming. Now, now there is the teaching, there is the teaching that Jesus was not God. And this is, this is the declaration of that teaching. The declaration is, is that Jesus existed. Most religions, including the Muslim faith, believe that Jesus actually existed. So very few, even religions that are anti-Christian, would say to you, Jesus didn't exist. Right? They're at the place where like, he had to exist. But he was a really good teacher. So, so they would say, you know what, we, we disagree with with the doctrine that Jesus is God, but we like his doctrinal teachings. We love the stance on love. We love the stance on forgive. We like these things. And so they accept Jesus as a good teacher, but not as the good God. And, and that particular doctrine leads to where we've been the last several, several months in Galatians. The doctrine of justification being made right with God. That's what justification means. Being made right with God by your good works. So you say, I believe in Jesus. All I have to do is live like Jesus lived and I'll be fine. And the reality of what John is saying here and what Jesus has said is that you will never get to heaven 
on your own good works or your own justification. You need someone else's justification. Or as we have said in here before, you get to heaven through good works, just not yours. You get to heaven through the works of Jesus Christ. And this is ultimately, it's a mystery. But this incarnation is a necessity for our salvation. That Jesus would bear our sin as our brother and as a perfect being in this sinful world. So what's the takeaway? Okay, well, well, this is good, but what's the takeaway? Well, here's the first takeaway. It should be really, really clear. The first takeaway is there is no access to salvation by any other name than the baby Jesus. There's no other way to heaven other than through living by faith. Remember I said doctrine is faith. You have to have faith in this begotten son, this only child of God. You have to believe. There's no other way to be saved, and there's no other way to stay saved except through faith in Jesus. But the second takeaway, and I have to be careful here, because because some of the, the nitpickers of doctrine and theology would nail me with what I'm about to say, so I've got to make uh, a caveat here. Some of you don't care, and that's okay too. The, the next thing was we're to be incarnational. Now, if you're thinking theologically and you're thinking soundly, you can know there's, a, there, there's an issue with saying that. The main issue is that there is only one person that has incarnated God perfectly, and that's Jesus because he was God. So when I say you need to be incarnational, what I don't mean is you need to be Jesus because you can't be. You with me? Uh, now, some of you are like, why are you explaining this? Because, it, because when we say to be incarnational, it can be taken as if, well, I have the power, I have the ability to do what Jesus did, and you don't apart from Jesus. You have to have Jesus in this. But what I mean by being incarnational is you... As Jesus represented God because he was God, we likewise to a degree because God is in us, we are at Christmas time to represent God's presence. We're to be literally the light of the world. Do you remember what Jesus said in John 17, 18? He's praying to God the Father. And he says, as you sent me, Father, into the world, so now I send them into the world. Christmas is, is a reminder that Jesus has come and been manifested to us. So in the text, if you look, that word is used within the the verses we just read, that that he was made manifest. The word manifest is the Greek word phaneru. And it literally means that when God has been manifest, that God has been made plain, clear, understandable, vivid, personable, and knowable. Uh, Jesse's definition would be the word manifest means It is clear as day who Jesus is. It is clear as day our access to salvation. Jesus has been made clear as day to us. He's been presented to us. There's no more mystery. We get to see God, feel God, know God. And now, as Jesus has manifested that reality to us, we are now, to the best degree possible, to manifest Jesus to the culture and the community in which we live. Christmas time is the reminder for that. There is no starker contrast at Christmas time than for us to actually live as Christians. You know, I say that because, you know, yesterday, for instance, the weather was fine. Apparently, I-80 didn't know that. I went down to Costco in the morning, thought I was okay, ended up at the scales, looked like it was going to take me about an hour to get home. 
You know how many people are happy on the freeway at that hour? No, no man. You know, want to know how many were preaching the gospel? None. If you want to adhere or at least understand, know that uh, the doctrine of total depravity, which teaches that, that we are sinners, that's the doctrine of total depravity. You want to know that that doctrine is true? Just go to Safeway at holiday time. <laughs> right? I mean, who does it, anybody want to be at Safeway the day before or the day after Thanksgiving? I don't. I try to do everything I can to avoid that parking lot. I hate that parking lot. And so what happens is, is when we enter into this culture, the society, everyone's busy, and, and I'm looking, I'm going, okay, I can't wait for Rayleigh's to come. Give Safeway a run for their money. What? They're putting up a grocery outlet across the street? Ooh, stick it to the man. I can't wait. And, then, and now I'm getting newsletters from Safeway saying, visit your local neighborhood grocery store? No, thanks. I haven't been going to Safeway for the last 30 years. I go to Reno, like everybody else who lives here. All that to be said, holiday time is chaos. People are grumpy. They're anxious. They're filled with angst. And and our job at Christmas time is to not detach from the world, but to be involved in it just as Jesus was. To be in the world. To befriend sinners. To actually see human sin and show God's love in the human sin to come alongside the hurting and the broken and the isolated and to serve people. See, see the representation is Jesus came and he served you. He, he served the people of the day. He, he rubbed shoulders with, with those who, who don't know God, didn't want to have anything to do with God. You know, the best thing you can do at Christmas time is not just hang out with your crazy family, <laughs> but invite some people who don't know Jesus to come eat with you. Invite someone to Christmas Eve. Invite someone over to your house. Invite to, to take someone to work. Go, go to your neighbor's house and bake them a pie. Okay, Ben, don't do that. Uh, bacon. You can make bacon. And your neighbor will rejoice because of it. Like, serve, serve people. I mean, do you ever think it's interesting? And I know we live in an area where, like, every other house could be a second home or an Airbnb. But, which means that to a certain scale, if you're a local here, the people around you, there's no excuse for you not to know their names. There's no excuse. Jesus would know their names. Jesus does know their names. I mean, what do you think Jesus would do if he lived next to your neighbor? How would he respond? How would he speak to them? How would he love them? Would he clear their berm? Maybe. Like, well, I don't even like clearing my own berm. Well, I did that one year. I, I, uh, a buddy of mine came over to our house after a real large storm. He had a tractor, and he came over, and he just blessed us. He didn't come announce. He didn't say anything. He just came over, big berm, brought his tractor. And I was like, yes, there is a God. I was so excited. And I got this grand idea. I was like, dude, my neighbors are out of town. Would you do their berm too? He's like, sure. Goes over, wipes out their mailbox, ruins part of their driveway. He's <laughs> like, well... Jesus loves you too, bro. The lesson is to, 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 to be involved in a humble way that your joy would be increased. I mean, here's the thing. Ultimately, John says, I want your joy to be complete. I'm writing these things to you. We're celebrating that, that God's been made manifest as a baby. I want to write these things to you that your joy would be complete. You, you know what he's saying? He's inviting you at Christmas time, to be emotional. He's inviting you at Christmas time to feel. 
In fact, I, I have a quote here from, uh, from a book from Keller. Keller wrote a really good book on walking with God through pain and suffering. And he has this quote here. He says, look at Jesus. He's talking specifically in the Gospels. He was perfect, right? And yet if you're reading, you see that he's crying all the time. He's always weeping. He's titled a man of sorrows. Do you know why? Because he is perfect. Because when you're not all absorbed in yourself, you can actually feel the sadness of the world, and therefore what you actually have is that the joy of the Lord happens inside the sorrow. It doesn't come after the sorrow. It doesn't come after the uncontrollable weeping. The weeping drives you into joy. It enhances the joy. Then the joy enables you to actually feel your grief without sinking you. In other words, you're finally emotionally healthy. See what Keller says? He says, if you actually have sadness, it's because you're actually healthy. And that sadness leads to greater joy. I know it's a weird dichotomy. Um, I experienced this a couple years ago. Uh, I, uh, <clears throat> I saw fit at a certain point to, to go see a counselor, a guy that uh, we send our people to on occasion. I thought it would be good for me, one from just a check-in for myself and for our marriage, but for, you know, as a pastor, I get asked occasionally, not all the time, but I get asked occasionally, who pastors you? Because I need a pastor too. I, I need someone to pour into my life. I need someone to rebuke me. I need someone to tell me I'm not thinking right and clear. So I started seeing uh, him, and, and some things started to come out. And one of those things was he was like, you know what, you never, you, you, he said, Jesse, you live right here. You're never down here. You're never full, full of sorrow. And you're never just pumped up and joy-filled. You're just always right here. I was like, yeah, it feels okay there. <laughs> and he says, here's the deal. He says, you're that way, and he basically said, because of childhood trauma. I don't need to share all the details of my past, but some of you know. He said, basically, you had to learn how to protect yourself from emotional trauma, uh, and so you, you chose at a certain point as a young, younger person to just not feel certain things. And since you've chosen that, you never experienced these great joys uh, but you never experienced the sorrow. So you protected yourself here. And he said, now here's the deal. You needed that probably as a child. You don't need it now. You got a healthy church. You got a beautiful wife. You got kids. They love you. Here's the deal. You got to be willing to go down here so you can feel up here. And I said, I'm never coming back. No. <laughs> I, didn't say, <laughs> I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> and, um, and so he gave me this, this practice. He said, okay, this is what you need to do. And I don't do, I'm not, I've, I haven't been doing so well lately. I've got to work on it. I'm supposed to once a week, uh, on a regular basis, share something with my wife about my emotional, like how I'm doing, how I'm feeling. That sounds so silly. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm supposed to feel. I'm supposed to share my heart and where it hurts. And, and, and sometimes I'm, I'm able to do it and sometimes I'm not. And when I have been able to do it, I do experience more joy on the other end. Basically, basically it goes back to this reality that Jesus through his perfect life, his suffering on the cross, Jesus lets us know that through Christianity, suffering and pain and hurt and sorrow have a redemptive purpose that in, in the eyes of the cross can actually bring you up to greater places of joy. Now, that doesn't sit well with us as Americans because we don't like hurt and pain. We do everything we can to avoid it. And then when we do experience it, we do everything we can to make it small and short and not deal with it. Now, what if the reality at Christmas time is feel, weep, and cry, but rejoice and sing? What if the reality of Christianity is it's okay to hurt, it's okay to feel, it's okay to be sad, uh, and that, that with the sadness will always come 
Mercies are new every morning. Rejoicing comes every morning. So here's the encouragement as we partake in communion. Number one, we rejoice in the fact that Jesus has been made manifest. That's the practice of communion. He, he has presented himself clearly, and we hold within our hands here, as we will in a few moments, the picture of Jesus' perfect blood shed for us and his body broken for us, that God and sinners are reconciled. And then number two, to consider how can you share the light of the world and make Jesus clear in the next several weeks before Christmas. And hopefully, hopefully, here's my prayer. It's my prayer every year. People come to the Christmas services over the next few weeks. People come tonight at Bethlehem. People come to um, our Christmas Eve services. And people come into contact in the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen? With that said, worship team, will you come on up? Uh, elders and deacons, if you can come up and um, serve the bread and the juice. And while we hand out the bread and the juice, uh, just hold on to it until, um, until everyone's served and, and uh, we'll partake uh, together. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. Hey, Mike, can you hold a tray with one hand? Thank you, Laurel. Just need a couple more people. Thank you. You sure? I don't want to hurt you. Go ahead.
I think it's <clears throat> fitting for the month of December for us to kick off the reality that, that Jesus truly has manifested himself to us. It's clear. It's concise. I mean, we sometimes like to, to make a mess of religion or Christianity, but at the end of the day, it, it's about the fact that Jesus came, that he would be in a relationship with you, that he would know you, and that you would know him. And that, that your joy would be made more complete because of that act, God and sinners reconciled. And so we rejoice at the fact that, that Jesus, at his very last supper, he sat down with his disciples, just like you did last week with your family and your friends. And he had a meal <clears throat> laid out for his people. And he partook of the bread and the wine, and he fellowshiped with them, and he said, partake in this meal. And when you partake, I want you to do it with remembrance because, because he knew, God knew something in that moment that our, our greatest hindrance to the human mind isn't just sin, but our ability to forget the goodness of God, especially in moments of, of blessings and even in moments of trial and travail. Sometimes we just forget, and we just need that reminder. And so we gather in this Christmas season again to be reminded. We gather in this month to be reminded. God came as a baby that we would know him and know him well and that we would be known by him and still completely loved by him. And so, Jesus, we thank you for the work that you accomplished on the cross. We thank you, Lord, that you've washed away our sins, and, Lord, that you have justified us with your, yourself. Thank you that we now have a relationship with you that anyone here this morning can have access to by faith. We thank you, and we thank you, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may partake. His body broken on our behalf. Merry Christmas. See you next week. Let's stand together, friends, and let's close on the last song. All together.